welcome to Season 2 of Purdue University College of Sciences Superheroes of Science podcast. I'm Stephen. And I'm Sarah. We will be discussing anything and everything related to science. If you have a science question, tweet it to us at Purdue SOS, and we will try and find someone to answer it for you. Superheroes of Science, we are doing a distance interview with Christopher Ronnelly, Assistant Professor of Earth and Space Sciences at Westchester University. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes. Uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate you taking time, being able to uh, in so we could do this video interview. The first My pleasure. Interviews. First. And so we're, uh, we might not have this quite perfected, but you're, our, I guess, our test subject. Thank you. I, I'm an imperfect person, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> what does a, an assistant professor of earth sciences do? Start there. I ask myself that every day. <laughs> I would show you my whiteboard of all the stuff that I need to do and all the different, not just the teaching, but all the um, aspects of research and scholarship and service and the other um, responsibilities that go along when you're in a relatively small department um, at, a, at a, a state university. Uh, like here where they really rely on um, the faculty to step up and get things done um, and a lot of things done. <laughs> so sometimes I feel like I have two or two and a half jobs uh, for my title um, because it does involve a lot. Um, you know, we have 12 contact hours a semester um, with classes. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's uh, research they do expect you know it's not a research university like Purdue um, but the the um, research component is uh, you know a chunk of your professional expectations and um, uh, mine is kind of tied into my teaching so it's very you know one informs the other and if I'm doing something with regard to teaching a class, it's often related to the research and the research goes directly to my teaching and my interaction with the students. Um, but it still has to get done. You know, they expect a certain amount of publishing, going to conferences um, and workshops and things like that to um, get your scholarship out there. And then, of course, uh, there's other uh, requirements with um, you know, I'm the assessment chair, so that means departmental program assessment um, in terms of our undergraduates, general education classes, um, and how those are proceeding. Um, are we meeting benchmarks and uh, levels that we need to with our both our gen ed classes in our department and our um, uh, our the earth and space science major classes? Um, but I'm also supervising student teachers. So that's a whole other component. Um, um, so, you know, and that gets me in the in uh, schools uh, from time to time, and that's always um, invigorating to be in a middle school sixth grade earth science middle school classroom every now and then, just to remind me and keep me humble. <laughs> so, um, but that's uh, always nice because you're working uh, with a future teacher and you see the kids and they they kind of recognize you by like the second or third time or even if they're seeing you for the first time they're kind of like who are you and you're like oh i'm alexander's teacher and they're like 
he has a teacher. I'm like, oh, oh Mr. Falcone to you. you know? <laughs> um, so it's, you know, there's a lot, there's a definitely uh, a lot to do, um, but it's, uh, it's, you know, it's life and it's what I love to do. So I, is it work? Yes, it's a lot of work, but um, um, I'm not, uh, but I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> I just don't have a life outside of Westchester University. No, I'm kidding. I do. <laughs> I do this. I do this. I get to see you guys. <laughs> Which we appreciate. Well, gosh, so you're so you're in so you're you're teaching. You're super mm -hmm. student teachers. Mm -hmm. You're writing publications. You're presenting right. conferences. You're a lot. Uh, it is a lot. I, I sometimes, you know, that's why I have this enormous whiteboard and all these columns and lists and things like that. And I keep, you know, check them, put checks on them and, uh, you know, and erase and cross off and stuff like that. And um, it's just uh, a lot of little different things that um, need to, you know, and I really care about, uh, I'm sure everybody does in their own way, but I, I really think about what I am actually doing in the classroom uh, when I'm teaching and how, you know, I was always one for being over when I was teaching um, in New Jersey as a classroom teacher, I was, I always felt like I was over prepared, <laughs> but you know, have, have multiple things ready to go and have more than enough for the day just in case. And I always want to make sure that, you know, that, the wording of uh, directions in a lab or the actual activity in a, in a intro geology lab um, or the activity that um, uh, the elementary uh, education majors in their science methods class, whatever they're doing that, okay, it's not only the activity, but what's the reasoning? Why are they doing this activity? And can we have this discussion or can I get them to discuss with each other? And how do I want to, what's the flow of this class so that when they teach science, they're actually teaching science, and they're not—they're uh, not the the uh, worksheet teacher or the packet teacher, uh, which they, I think they some of them know that when I say that, it's not with um, a compliment. <laughs> you know, it's really a, der a derisive term. You know, you don't want to be that middle school science teacher that hands a big packet of of work and here get, do this, or I'm going to write definitions on the board because that's not teaching science. And um, that teaching a methods class, it's about, you know, that they're prepared to teach science. A lot of them, whether they're the elementary uh, majors or the middle grades uh, prep majors, a lot of them say at the beginning of the semester, I, I want the strategies uh, or the tools in order to teach science. And, you know, you go through the whole idea of, you know, what is the nature of science? What makes science science? Um, and do different kinds of activities and, and then teach them the skills of what kids should be doing in a middle school or elementary science lesson in a classroom and going through all the different process skills or as per NGSS, what we call the science and engineering practices and doing activities that gets them, or even if it's direct instruction, you know, that bad word lecture, yeah, you know, the thing that we're not supposed to do, but, but 
lecture is, or direct instruction is so much more than just you know for 45 minutes really you think fourth graders are going to be okay with that um but even in a regular direct instruction lesson how many different process skills and act miniature smaller activities can you get the kids engaged in that where they're practicing the skills of science and they're uh thinking critically and and quantitatively in some uh, way that they're working on those skills. And that's a science lesson, not copying definitions or writing definitions in a worksheet or a packet or doing a word find or word scramble or uh, what's the, the, when you draw the head and then body and the art, well, uh, man, man, you know, something like, like that's not teaching science, like <laughs> do science. Sounds like you use a lot of reflection in the things that you're doing. It sounds like you're being very reflective on how you're perceiving your student teachers. And, and so do you talk to them then in your classes about the value of reflection as they go through that teaching process? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things uh, that happens uh, from time to time in the methods classes is the, um, the kind of the deconstruction of what the heck just happened? Um, you know, a model lesson uh, that's kind of focused on um, teaching uh, multi in a, in a multimodal fashion that draws in uh, uh, Gardner's intelligences um, or uh, cultural responsive teaching, or we're just focusing on, uh, we're going to focus on a lesson that would be a, kind of a claim evidence reasoning approach to teaching or different kinds of claim evidence reasoning activities that you can do with students um, and then kind of deconstruct it so that they so why did we just do what we did and how is this related where, where is the sciencing going on in here what are the skills the students are practicing that's what you want to be thinking about when you plan your science lesson you want to infuse those skills and be very cognizant of all right, what process skills are we practicing today? Whether it's very explicit or it's kind of impl implicit, because um, it doesn't have necessarily be a activity where it's, today we're going to predict whether something's magnetic or not magnetic, and, and where it is very explicit. Let's predict, what is it? Predict, all right, let's test it, and then let's, you know, what, do, what trends do we find? But are there other skills that students are working on even though the primary one may be about making observations and inferences, but they may also be practicing comparing and contrasting, classification, you know, uh, using a model or measuring, you know, so all the different basic and more uh, integrated process skills and practices is what I want them to be reflecting on. And also with the other part of teaching science is that what's your story? When you teach a lesson, you have to think of it like a storybook, a kid's storybook, or any storybook, maybe not as long as Harry Potter, uh, <laughs> or, or War and Peace, or Moby Dick. But, um, but what's your, what's your storyline? First of all, think of the end. Think of your destination. What do you want them to master, understand? What skills do you want them to have what did you, what do you want to accomplish at the end what question do you want them to answer at the end of the class or the end of the unit 
and then work backwards from there. And instead of making it very modular, uh, whether it's an individual lesson plan that lasts you know, one 45 minute period or a one week to two week unit plan, rather than thinking about, okay, day one, what can I get through? You know, what, what do I hope to get through on day one? And then, okay, now let me think about day two. What am I going to do for day two? And what do I hope to get through? Like, don't think like that. Think of the over, think of the long story, but think of your destination and then work backwards from there. And then how are you threading lesson one, lesson two, lesson three together so that they're, you know, the, I mean, you hear a lot about constructivism and, uh, you know, the, the learning progressions from lesson one through the end of the lesson. What are you building on? What's your story? And how, and how are these things connected so that the, the kids are seeing, the learners, the students in the class are, are seeing that connection, that it's not just this individual box, or I should do this up here, this individual box of <laughs> a lesson. You can't see when I do this down here, um, of this compartmentalized modular lesson that doesn't seem to, you know, what happens the next day and the day after that? Well. Get the walls down and and tell me a story. Let the threads connect, but always be thinking. But think first about your destination, and then work backwards. That's how you should be preparing a lesson and a unit um, with teaching. So that's what's very much stressed: the story of a lesson. Because you know the there's a, I'm sure at other universities um, they have to when they do a formal lesson plan. It's very it's all boxes and everything, you know, you know, uh, objectives and, and the standards and the, and the academic language and the, everything's in a box. And, you know, it's like, here's the anticipatory set. This is a box. And here, and, and my disagreement with anticipatory sets is that they put this time limit there. I always edit it out, you know, like, who, who says it has to be only one or three minutes? Get the heck out of here. If it's lasting 20 minutes, Run with it. It's a teachable moment. Yeah. Get everybody involved. You know, it's like this anticipatory set, instructional activities. And, you know, not every science lesson has guided and independent practice. It depends on what you're doing and what skills you're working on and what the activity is. Um, and, you know, closures in the next one. I'm always like, take the, edit the lines out, edit the boxes. <laughs> Make it all one big box and just tell me a story. And it's, uh, so I, I, you know, I don't like the, you know, like, because when you're doing the anticipatory set, you don't suddenly hold up a, a sign that says, okay, now moving into instructional activities <laughs> or guided practice or, okay, like, don't, you would never say it in your lesson, okay, class, now we're beginning closure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I love, I love is thinking of a lesson as a story. I really like. It. We always tell teachers to think about what what is the goal of your lesson. And, you know, right. You're saying, hey, think about the end of the story. And those overlaps as well. So I love the idea of thinking of that as a story. It's something I've not thought of. Well, I think it makes it easier when you if you think of it like a story rather than you know, everything in neat little boxes where you're not thinking of, you know, in a story, you have a beginning, a, 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 
you know, a, a climax, an end, you have main characters, you have setting, that's all still, you know, you can make connections or analogy to what a lesson plan uh, is all about. So I, it has to be, if you think of it like a story, it becomes less, um, uh, I think it, the, the flow of the lesson, rather than compartmentalizing everything, it just makes it easier to see, I, I want, and if I don't get through this in the 45 minutes, I just continue on tomorrow. I kind of read. What do you with your student teachers? Maybe they get really going. They really get on a good you know, thread of what they're speaking about, and then class is over. How do you regain that momentum in the next class? Well, I think, you you know, your, how you begin a lesson, you know, your anticipatory set, especially at the beginning of a new every uh, new topic, you know, sometimes the continuation of a, of a lesson into a second or even a third day, um, your anticipatory set for those days will not look the same as the initial set for when you introduce this topic. And, and I always, uh, I'm always, you know, when I read their lesson plans, the first thing I look at is their anticipatory set. Because what do you mean? Um, Can we define that term? Um, that well, so this is the, <laughs> so I do ask them. I said so if there is so if you had if you could choose, you know they they have by the time they get to these methods classes they're juniors and seniors, so they've had some pedagogy classes and I always I ask them one word what's the function of the anticipatory set one word that is is it a synonym but think about more about its function so we kind of go through that and i always say well my definition or my one word is is a bridge and that it's a bridge from the known to the unknown and so if you introduce a topic that can be pretty complex and we may think you know um that the planets of the solar system. Oh, everybody likes that. We all like our planets and they're pretty colors and some have really cool names. And, you know, <laughs> this one has a big red spot and this one has rings and, you know. Um, but rather than just saying, okay, we're, today we're gonna talk about the planets. <laughs> okay, that is, that is not gonna win anybody over. <laughs> so how do you, where do you, what's your story? What's your bridge? Because even with teaching the solar system or teaching rocks or glaciers or Newton's laws or mitosis and meiosis or cell division uh, or DNA, how do you get, how do you, those, those can be complicated conceptually for learners of any age, including adults. How are you going to lead them into that? What's the bridge you're going to take where you're starting with something that they know, something that's either universal or that they already know themselves? And so an example was just, I'll, I'll give an example if I can, if I can remember it. So you might have to edit this. Um, <laughs> what was she doing? Um, oh, it was one of the my elementary... Uh, ed majors. And so they, uh, I did a bunch of 
de demonstrations. And of course, I mean, I could talk all day about the importance of doing a demo. <laughs> Don't forget the demo, right? <laughs> um, so I did a bunch of demos and they had to take one of the demos and incorporate it somewhere into a lesson. But a lot of the demos could be used in different contexts of science content. Um, so one of the demos, Steve, I know you've done this with uh, the homecoming and the uh, the spring fling uh, things, and you know the ivory soap in uh, the microwave, right? Um, so they're always, you know, oh my gosh, you know, when I did that, that makes the room smell really nice, right? Um, so, she, <laughs> so she took uh, that demonstration and uh, but her anticipatory set was a conversation to I think it was geared for third graders about being sick. Can you ex you remember about being sick and how do we what's when we say to be healthy and to be clean, what should, what are you know good hygiene aspects? And so this whole thing about getting the kids to think about washing your hands with soap. And then it became, oh, so this is soap. There's there's this kind of soap, and then there's the liquid soap. And you know, then it got into phases of matter. Oh wow. It's just like, oh wow, this this easy transition about solid ivory soap and liquid, you know, pump soap. And then it got into, and then it went into ivory soap, and then it became a prediction activity about, tell me about, okay, so ivory soap is, you know, it's definitely kid, you know, kids would probably say it's definitely solid. And then, okay, let's predict what's going to happen when we put it in water. So now you've added this observation and predictive component to your lesson. Okay, well, ivory soap is one of the few soaps that when you put it in water, it actually floats. It's a kind of makes <laughs> ivory soap marketable, I suppose. And then that part, and then, okay, so what do you think will happen if I put it in the microwave? <laughs> so another predictive activity, you know, you put it in there, what, 15, 20, 25 seconds, Steve, and you have this big billowing ivory soap puffy thing. And so it goes against, oh, if you add heat to something, it should be melted. And now this thing puffs up, like, oh, you know, when the, I do that with the methods classes. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, right? <laughs> um, so now imagine third graders with that. So, um, and then it became about the, the change. Um, it became about physical changes. So it transitioned from a health hygiene being, tell me about your experiences of being sick or how do you, and then how do you keep clean to going into phases of matter and then physical changes, which would lead into eventually physical and chemical change. I mean, so I was like, this is a great lesson. <laughs> like you, this is mastered. <laughs> you, you've, you've gotten a wonderful story. You've talked about, you're getting third graders talking. Everybody, everybody, can you name one nine-year-old that's never been sick? Right? <laughs> yeah. Or the basics of good hygiene, washing your hands with soap, right? Which is now in with the coronavirus, right? <laughs> who, who knew? <laughs> so, and then to talk about, you know, phases of matter, uh, sinking and floating, 
you know, getting prediction and observations, comparing and contrasting, and then a physical changes, you know, and then talking about, you know, taking a piece of paper, rump, you know, crump cleaning it up or ripping it as another example of a physical change. I'm like, that's exactly what you want to do. I mean, now you have third graders and you're telling me a story that they can, and you have the bridge because we all identify with being sick. We all identify with keeping clean and soap. Soap is generally a universal concept or, or washing things are, is universal. Being sick is universal, unfortunately. And then into the real, the meat of, of the lesson of the science content. So wow. that's the kind of story you want in a science lesson. And for, for, to take that and to, and to see that being written by a student, a future teacher is like, wow, that's great. That's what a science lesson should, this is what a science lesson should look like for this age. To, and for that bridge is easy to cross and going from the known to the unknown about physical changes, which may be a brand new concept at this at this point or even you know phases of matter for goodness sakes that was was worked in so mm -hmm. i'm talking way too much about this wonderful <laughs> lesson, that's, that's the kind of but that's what gets me excited when i read a, a lesson plan like that that you know and that's what science teaching should look more like and not just a packet of terms it's not about def, you know memorizing definitions um you know, I mean, of course, we want them to know what if you know, what does it mean to be a physical or chemical change. So, um, anyway, bridge to understanding from the known to the unknown. I love those analogies. You bring the best analogies in when we start talking about the gaji of understanding instruction. If it, if it and if it takes twenty minutes. And in, and gets all the kids discussing. You have to allow for those teachable moments to modify and adjust your your lesson, because if if you're talking about uh, you know the uh, the planets or or anything, you know, I mean, not my anticipatory set when I was teaching about the solar system was always tell me about members of your family. And kids didn't really like know we were going into teaching about the planets of the solar system, but then how are members of your family alike? Okay, so they make a list of two or three things. Oh, we all have brown hair, we all are we all like sports, we all, you know, whatever. And you get this list of kids contributing and they're all telling about their family members, and then you say, Okay, tell me about a family member who's very different from everybody else. <laughs> you know, like who's that, you know that special aunt or that, that, that uncle that you have to invite to holidays or reunions or whatever. And you're like, oh, you know, that when they drive up, you're kind of like, oh, they're here, you know, and what makes them different. And um, so, and because we all, family is another universal concept, right? And we all have family, a family is in every culture and we all have things in common with our family members and we all have that special 
person in our family. Steve, aren't you that special? <laughs> and, um, you know, so if you think about, okay, so there are ways members of your family are similar, but there's also that yeah. members of the family where that's different. And you could probably think of multiple members of your family that each of them have their own little special thing. And the solar, the planets of our solar system are members of a family. We're members of the sun's family. We're, we're all together. And yet each of us, all eight of us, uh, have, you know, we're, we, we each are that special ant. You know, we each have our own individual quirks that make us unique as a planet. And that's what you want, you know, if, you know, and then of course going into a unit on the, on the planets, you know, makes it easier because if you're thinking at that way at the beginning of the unit, when you start teaching about the planets of the solar system as a family, things that ways that they're alike, but also each one is different. And then bring that back, make that the thread, the umbrella, the story. Yeah. As you go through each of the planets, you know, you have your inner planets, you get through you know, Mercury. I mean, I always taught them in sequence from the sun. Um, you know, so, and you kind of talk about it as you're going through and then that becomes the thing at the end that, okay, so how is our solar system like a family? What are those ways that different that parts of the family are alike and what way is each one you know a little different and makes it you know very distinct and unique so I, I think when we when we just have to take a step back and think about when we look at our curricula for the year uh, whatever grade of science that we're teaching or content what how can you approach each made you know the unit the, the, the major concept and then each of the sub units in uh, that that make that content up. How do you begin and break that down so that it's not just this um, amorphous blob of information about DNA, which could you know, or the cell, you know, or the periodic table? <laughs> Christopher. Thank you so much. I, mean, I feel like we could just keep talking forever. We probably could. I could rant on for, for, for hours, but. You bring the best and you bring unique ideas and some of the best analogies and stuff. I mean, you were talking about planets being like a family and right. how it's different. So you, you make things real to students. Yeah. They know what well, I think is talking about a bridge of understanding. So when yeah. you teach instruction, you do a really good, good job with that. Right. We appreciate it. I think, I think that's. You know, when I, I think that's the connection that when I, or I think part of it was, you know, my own experience as a classroom teacher um, and what I learned from my students as as a as a teacher and what I needed to do. I mean, getting, you know, a master's degree certainly helped when I realized, oh, I'm going to do more of this. And then your own experience with your classroom informs you. And then, um, you know, my dissertation at Purdue was extremely informative, not because, it, I mean, part of it was informed, uh, or part of what I do in my 
methods, but also really, especially in my intro geology class, is informed by my experience as a classroom teacher, but also um, my research that I did when I was at Purdue. And I think that experience of, I'm probably, I'm gonna sound like such a nerd. <laughs> I'm one of, probably one of the few people that would say, I, my PhD experience was really good and very helpful <laughs> in informing me as, as, a, as a professor now. Um, to take what I did, that research that I did about the students in an intro geology class at the university level and take that and then draw also upon my experience as a teacher and then what does my intro geology class look like? I know I would never say, oh, I'm the best ever teacher of intro geology because I'm sure there's probably some of my students would not agree with that um, for whatever reason, but I, you know, the types of labs and the way you present um, uh, topics and the types of activities that you do um, and the way you, you know, teach because I don't just walk into my intro geology, which of course, science, teaching science methods to education majors is, has its own challenges uh, and your expectations of future teachers, but now you suddenly, my other, my other teaching responsibilities, a general education intro geology class, and you can probably be thinking, oh my God, how do you, you know, but we can't just, if you think about the earth sciences and the geosciences, geology, and all that, it, how it can be helpful to so many different areas of not just the science, but to solve problems and just to have be science literate. So what are we doing in these intro classes, whether it's geology or bio or chem, that serve as a recruitment tool? Because intro geology, geology 101, chem, one whatever, that should be a welcome mat to science, not a, I hate the words weeding out, but I know that that term is used, you know, oh, we got to weed out the pre-meds, we got to weed out the engineers, you know, I don't look at geology, my intro geology class as a weeding out, I look at it as, as a, come, come on, join us, um, and think about how do you take a, oh, we out of, uh, are we out of, my gosh, see, I, I talk too much. Yeah, not to, well, you have a lot of good things to say. We appreciate it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Doing exactly what I don't do to my. That's funny. But um, yeah, it's been uh, a lot of work, um, but it's been a great experience, and um, yeah, uh, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And outstanding on review. iTunes or your preferred podcast player. Tweet us your science questions. At Purdue SOS. Until next time, be super. And remember. You are someone's hero. Boiler up. Hammer down.